1: Today, I'm excited to change the conversation from mental freedom to relationships in honor of February, the month of love. Tonight I have with me Dr. Vicki Lannerholm, and she's a licensed counselor and reality therapist. She has a private practice and works as an adjunct at a community college in the counseling department. Her passion is understanding the human condition, challenging the status quo, and writing. She's authored three books and is working on her next one about her dating journey, trying to balance emotions in a tsunami of expert knowledge. Welcome, Vicki, and thank you for agreeing to talk with us today. Thank you. It's great to be here again this year. I appreciate you inviting me. I loved our conversation last year. And when we were talking, you were a couple months into your dating journey. As a therapist, I remember you were trying to explore the modern dating narrative regarding online dating, matching, compatibility, and you were working at balancing emotions of dealing with this firsthand in the face of all the expert insight you have as a therapist and the popular concepts like high-value partners. And it sounds like you have one takeaway that you want to talk to us tonight on communication. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So communication was a big issue in this dating arena where you were playing, let's say.
0: Mm-hmm. It was. And I found that it wasn't just my interpretation or experience of it. It was everybody mentioned that communication was a problem in both women and men. What I primarily run into is people talking about how they ghost or people block or go missing all of a sudden. So it was technology fueled. And I found that interesting as well, because it's very different than many years ago in dating. Communication was something that rose to the very top of, of what I wanted to address and understand more in my dating experience as well. I don't know if you want me to talk about the different points I found or where you want to take it tonight. Well,
1: let's start with how do you define communication in dating and what
0: kind of role it actually plays? How big is that role of communication? It's pretty much the center of relating. I mean, you, you absolutely have to, have to look at that as the very key piece of relating and dating. It's the communication is the vehicle, right? So this is how we get to know someone. We decide if we're going to trust them or not. It helps us meet a need, whether we feel a need to belong or we feel a need to have fun or have power and control. It's the way we express emotions and thoughts because those are internal and you can't know them unless you speak about them, Right. And that's how you get to know someone. And it helps us make meaning of whatever experiences we have and talk about how we're going to develop a relationship. There's so many pieces. Communication is the absolute key to everything in relationships. We tend to focus on the words a lot because we're texting so much. We don't have the other pieces that are critical because comprehensive communication, right, is verbal and physical and sensory and it's all these other things. And a lot of that is missing today we're relying on what's going on in our head versus what could be going on in a dynamic between two people. I find that every day, not even
1: in my interactions with men, it's just interactions with people in general. I'm not a person who was raised with good morning every day, right? It's just not something that my parents ever said, so it's not a habit of mine And I'll shoot off a text and I get right down to business and people will respond and say, well, good morning, Kim. And I'm like, whoops, I forgot that part. Right. And so they might infer something from my lack of good morning that I'm being brisk, but that's not part of my regular routine. So there's no meaning in not saying good morning. It's just not a habit of mine. There are a lot of inferences and I love the way that you Talked about how all of that stuff is going on internally, and a person can't know what's happening inside your head. You have to share it verbally for them to understand it. That's so common sense, and yet it's not something that we often think of.
0: One of the parts of this that struck me when I was thinking through, well, what are the things that I could talk about related to communication? Because we have communication styles, we have these issues in dating, we have online dating, and all of this. And I thought, well, it really comes down to that inference. And I thought of it this way. You know, we tend to focus on words and nonverbal language, and, but we're always interpreting silence today. It's not the things we know. It's the uncertainty of what we don't know. And that's what trips us up. And so this is especially true in dating. The brain and the mind are in a perpetual state of trying to make sense of our situations. If there are gaps, we fill them in. And the gaps today exist in the gray space between every text and being on the phone or not seeing each other for a certain amount of time. We interpret time and silence, but it's always that processing of and interpreting silence. And it comes down, I think, a principle of congruence. That's kind of where I landed. Because we need things to make sense. We need them to fit. And when we can't, we fill in the blanks ourselves. And there's a lot of room to do that today in communication I boiled it down to three things that are problems. Okay. It's really about lack of communication, miscommunication, and over-communication. And so I'll probably talk about that later, but communication involves so many things, whether it's listening and hearing and that inference, right? Interpretation and understanding, formulating a response. And we're doing all this in seconds or minutes, to some extent, we could say texting would be beneficial if we used it correctly, right? If we had other conversations outside of it or just messaging online or whatever it might be. But that's how everything starts out. If we can't get to the next level, I think we're missing out on a lot. Oh, yeah, you're right. We would be. When
1: you're talking about dating communication, what do you think the biggest challenges are?
0: Hmm. Probably those three things. What we don't know, and we don't know how to ask, we don't know the words, and they're usually too long to do in the, the mode of communication that we use today, which is messaging or texting or, or just talking on the phone. Email is not. I've not seen that yet in dating. That was not my experience. So there isn't that length of communication or affording elaboration on what we're thinking or feeling. So it's short spurts of being of brevity of communication that does not disclose anything. And we have to make those inferences. So we lean on cues and heuristics and biases and our friends and bros and whatever it might be we have in our social circle or what's online to understand other people rather than getting to know them first. And I think that's a big problem. Lack of communication is really about fear and avoidance, fear of offending, saying something that's wrong. That, that's a challenge in dating, right? We don't know the protocols. We don't know how to ask or talk about the protocols. Defining those preferences, how do you want to communicate? And we don't ask, what should we talk about, right? We just kind of jump in and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't talk about, I mean, lack of communication is also choice of time, place, method thereof. And we don't, we don't talk about what those are. So if communication is the central piece of getting to know someone, which it is in dating, we don't get the the logistics out of the way first. We don't do the housekeeping about, well, how do you like to communicate? Is texting your favorite? What do you like to say? I I had a conversation yesterday with a man and he said, you know, I'm pretty picky about this, but this means a lot to me. If someone says good night or night, those two things tell me different things, whether they're willing to put forth the effort or not. To me, I said, well, I see it a different way. When I say night versus good night, night to me is more intimate versus good night feels more formal. So we had these two different perspectives, but had we not talked about different communications or saying certain things or how we come across in text, we would never have known this and we would have Mm -hmm. probably walked away, right? And so this happens all the time. It's a small example of what we encounter in the dating world today. I remember early in a relationship that I had,
1: I used the word whatever when I was inviting this person to my house for dinner. It was kind of an impromptu, spontaneous, same-day kind of thing. We were early in the relationship, and I said, I made spaghetti for myself, and I have plenty to share if you'd like to come over and have dinner. And I said, it's okay if it's not possible, whatever he had the experience of that word, whatever, was very negative to him. It was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I really didn't care. And we actually had, I won't say we had an argument, but he got really sulky and I really had to bug him about what was going on because it seemed like an about face and I had no clue where it came from. And I'm really glad that we had the conversation because then we went on to have an actual pretty long-term relationship. But if we hadn't have done that, I think he would have walked out that door and never come back. It just was that crazy. Something yeah. as simple as a word. And then yeah. I'm thinking about our brains hardwiring for negativity when we don't have all the information and how we always jump to a negative conclusion, which would be added to the complication with
0: communication. Yeah that's the miscommunication piece then, right? Because we're not saying something about our history because when we're communicating anything, it's about what we come into it with. It's not what the other person is giving us necessarily. This is especially true in dating because we're under stress. And when we're under stress, it compromises our ability to access cognitive information, right? And think clearly. We have to catch ourselves holding our breath and so that situation compromises the integrity of communication to begin with. So you're going to have miscommunication. You're going to feel something. You're going to feel defensive or whatever it is. You don't know how to label it. You're going by your history versus what the other person is doing. Mm-hmm. And if you're furthermore, not even together in the same room where you can have that sensory input, you only have the cold, right, words in front of you based on what someone else used those words for in the past, So that's a miscommunication piece that, you know, you really need to define the purpose and appropriate method of communication, talking about different attitudes that you've experienced from others in the past and how those have come across, what words were used, what did they do. I had a really fun experience in December where a good friend of mine who's a chief for a fire department, he said, hey, I'd like you to come in and talk to my guys. Can you do a workshop? about resilience and self-care and first responder work and just talking about talking about things, right? Emotions and all this. And I said, sure. So I did a three-hour workshop with these guys. And it came down to, I, I had this slide with facial expressions. And we were talking about what would be approachable, what would be. And of course, everybody wanted to approach the one who was smiling and, and the ones who was angry or upset, right? They didn't want anything to do with that. Sad and surprised. They were a little confused with, But it's like, what do you come home to at the end of the day? What's approachable? Where are your stress levels at? And this communication is much more than those words. And so when we're in a room with someone, that can give us additional calming or stressors, right? And understanding dynamics are pretty important. Sounds like you guys resolved that. By first of all, addressing the fact that it got awkward in the conversation, somebody, yes. about it, which is not common. A lot of people won't say anything, they'll walk away. And so how do we navigate that? But that's miscommunication, and I think that's a huge problem. And there can be overcommunication followed up on that too. You can say too much too soon. Understanding readiness when it comes to communication in early dating is really important as well.
1: In your experience, what would be an example of overcommunication too soon?
0: It's always about the emotional content. If someone has fresh wounds that they haven't addressed and they are afraid of rejection, they're afraid of feeling again because last time they felt or last time they got close and were vulnerable, it failed. It had some negative outcome. And so when they start to feel things again, they draw back and they're reserved, right? Right. So if someone says, I really like you, or I'd love to see you again, and those kinds of things, or it's great to be with you, and it was such a good time the other night, they might wonder what the agenda is behind that, or waiting for the other shoe to drop, or they're not ready to go there yet. And if they're not able to articulate that or communicate that in words to say, you know, uh, I like you too, I'd like to take it slow, or whatever it is, if they can't articulate that that's going to be a problem in the relationship. And so that's over-communicating, right? Or saying too much, talking too much about your ex or something like that, that could be over-communication. And so it's about readiness and a common understanding of how you you want the relationship to proceed, talk about protocols, what to say and when, maybe sharing other experiences in the past. You know, I had this one person who, you know, really wanted to get involved real quickly, see me all the time or communicate, you know, text all the time. There can be a number of different things where it's over-communication, I don't know if I shared last time, I had an experience with a gentleman who wanted to see me every Saturday and reserve every Saturday and text every morning and during lunch and the evening. And my schedule between my private practice and other work can be a 12-hour day for me. And I try to reserve responding to texts or things at the end of the day. I don't check my phone. I put it aside. I'm sitting with clients. I don't have that option, right? He could not understand why I could not just pick up my phone or when I saw it light up, answer it. And so I had to explain the nature of my work and sitting with the client, confidentiality and a number of different things. So just having that communication about where my boundaries are and when I can and can't respond, it's not a preference and what my intent is behind it is not to hurt you or play a game, right? And that's often the interpretation today because that's the social narrative about dating.
1: Yeah, a lot of game playing, at least that's the perception. And it's just maybe because of misunderstanding, like you said, or miscommunication or I can see why communication is such a challenge in today's dating world. Mm-hmm. In your experience, Vicki, what
0: types of communication do you think really work best? I don't think you can generalize it. The key to communication is communicating about communication. And I think it's like metacognition itself, <laughs> right? Once you can catch your thoughts and know what you're thinking about, then you can change it. But if you're not paying attention, they can run away with you. And I think it's the same with communication, the ideal situation to communicate in is always physically in person and verbally, right? So you have the matching of what you're saying with what you're doing and seeing. One of the things I said to, in their first responder training, I said, so you know, I pointed to the woman who had a very angry face in the slide. And I said, what if she told you that she's really happy? And they all said, she's wrong. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> she's <laughs> lying. She's lying. <laughs> So what works best is having that match between what you're seeing and sensing and what you're hearing and the words that are coming together with that. Communication works best in certain situations when stress levels are low. That's really important. It's hard for us to understand and process information that's coming at us when we're in a level of stress. That's always going to be a compromise. When motivations are positive, when we're not reactive or defensive or looking for the other shoe to drop at the end of the day when somebody comes home from work is not the best time to address certain things so when you talk about different things is important and discuss where our stress levels are at with our partners like at the end of the day i just need an hour to myself or on sundays i do xyz and i just need me time have that clarity and boundaries and what our needs are we need to be in the same physical space again that sensory input engagement void of distraction all communication is going to be better when you are void of distractions whether it's kids running around or sitting at the mall or, you know, whatever it is, agree on what constitutes a distraction and avoid those. When you speak the same language, and I think there's a lot to be said for that, that's key to communication. Just because we speak English does not mean we speak the same language. It's a cultural thing. It can be a geographic. It can be the circle of friends and family you have as to how they talk about things in the world, what's acceptable. And then topics, what topics are off limits or what's a sensitive topic for you? So having that conversation and being curious and open-minded. But then once you have those pieces in place, you can really have a real conversation about who you are, what you want out of life in a relationship, what day-to-day events might be meaningful to you and start to plan that out. I recommend that couples, if they can, get one of those decks of cards with questions for getting to know each other. There's a lot of different options out there. And the last thing I think I would say, there's a couple of different things. I, healthy communication, I will talk about that. But comfort, there's a level of comfort. And one of the things that stuck with me for a long time is something that Nancy Fox said in her book, <laughs> Peaceful Parenting. And I wrote it down. It says, we're born with internal instructions to behave, motivated to use behaviors that keep us safe and alive, that give feelings of pleasure and comfort and satisfaction. Pain, discomfort, and dissatisfaction inform us that we're not following our internal instructions. Throughout childhood, we learn which behaviors get us either one of those, and that's where we adopt a way of being and behaving in our external world. So if we're in situations of communication, we're either maybe looking to compete or cooperate, and that depends on our highest need, whether it's belonging or power and control, freedom or fun, that always comes back to people. When I talk about it like that, they go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's not Mm -hmm. fun. Some men will say, well, I need some fun memes or flirt with me that way or, you know, that kind of thing. And I think if we can talk about those things that meet our needs, that's going to enhance our level of communication and vulnerability with each other. And we're going to feel closer. And that's what relating is about and getting to know someone. Healthy communication is, I wrote down three things for that, is really about our motivation behind it and not speculating. So red flags, I think, are internal always. We should look for our internal red flags and not what somebody else is doing to us. Because we can't,
1: mm-hmm. control
0: that. for example, if we're spinning on something in our mind, like why didn't they text back or why haven't I heard from them or why didn't they invite me to this thing or whatever we're spinning on in our mind. If we're not talking about it with our partner or a potential partner, that's a red flag. We need to think about our motivation and how we can address it. That's talking to the person about it and saying, hey, you know, I noticed that you didn't, making an observation and being clear about what we need. It would, I would have been really excited to go with you or if you need space, just let me know. Or So, so we communicate what our motivation is behind why we're saying something or not saying or saying something in particular. It, not parroting what our friends say or social media and memes and hype say, but rather really tuning into why we're saying something or not saying something and what that means. We're trying to meet a need, a belonging or fun. Freedom. Mm -hmm. Those needs are important. We need to understand what they are and how we meet them by our pattern of communication. That goes back to Glasser principles of what happens when we're born, right? We're gonna do certain things to meet our needs.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: We're gonna cry, we're gonna throw tantrums, or we're gonna ask or whatever when we get to a certain age. So it changes over time. And it's the same in relationships early on in a dating relationship, we're not going to say, I feel needy when I'm sick, or I want you to come pick me up at the airport. I I don't know what the need is, but we have different levels of acceptance and boundaries across the relationship. So recognizing that there's stages to healthy communication and what's appropriate. So again, it's that communicating about communication, what's meaningful and what's not. And And then the last piece is our history. If we recognize our pattern of communication and our perceptions, how we've interpreted other situations and are willing to talk about that with our potential partner. I think that's really, really important because that builds trust. It lets them know a little bit about what your needs are in communicating and it helps them meet that need. Often you hear someone say, well, they should have known. And the minute we get into this should have known realm, we're crossing a line of not communicating appropriately with a lack or misunderstanding or over-communication. Yeah, like you said, how can people know what you're not speaking about
1: verbally? Because they're not in your head. As much as you might think they are, they're really not in your head. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice would you give to someone who's
0: early in a dating situation about communication? Lean on the side of common courtesy, always. No one's perfect. And there's a human on the other end. If you're not in person, there's a human on the other end, and they have feelings whether you do or don't. Common courtesy is just being kind. If you're not feeling it, then you need to say that. Learning how to be comfortable with discomfort in communication so that you can be authentic. You don't feel bad. They don't feel bad. You're clear and consistent. They always know where they stand with you. But being kind, is, I think, is the most important one. And then recognizing that there's stages to dating, communication, and not making assumptions. And not having expectations unless you've explicitly talked about them. Don't play games. If you think they are, ask about it. I noticed that you didn't text back for three days, or I noticed that you got quiet when we were talking about, or you know, having that level of versus making a, a speculation in your mind and spinning on it, just explicitly making that observation and asking if they're willing to talk about it. And not expecting that they're going to on the spot, but also giving room for them to say, you know, I don't know, I wasn't comfortable, I can't explain it, can we talk about it another time? Finding those words to give each other room, knowing that nobody's perfect and there's no right way to do it. But as long as you're talking about it, you're being curious with each other, you're being kind, those are the key principles for really getting to know someone. Pay attention to your own thoughts and actions because you can't control what they do. That's a fact.
1: I'm guessing that you're not going to recommend ghosting as an appropriate response in a new dating relationship.
0: No, I think it says a lot about the person who's doing it and not in a negative way, but I think people struggle a lot. And unfortunately, it has become a coping mechanism where you just shut them out. And, And what it does, if you are ghosting someone or you are blocking them, whatever you're doing I think you're doing yourself a disservice because you're not finding ways to cope in a healthy way with whatever emotions are coming up. Or maybe you feel incompetent in terms of how you express yourself verbally and go find a mental health coach, life coach, someone who can help you navigate both that emotional and that feeling, finding words to replace it, to say, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I really need to stop this conversation. I can't talk to you or I just whatever it is to express that there needs to be an end to the relationship or you're not feeling it, whatever it is. But finding those words and building that I think is a sign of, I don't like to use the word maturity because I don't think it's necessarily a level of that, but I think it's a coping mechanism and it's a negative one that impacts the person who is doing it and they can become numb and impair their emotions and range and capacity for feeling things rather than tackling them. Definitely ghosting MIA and blocking those types of things are harmful.
1: That goes against what you said about kindness and consideration and remembering that that's a person on the other end. So I would agree with that. Vicki, as always, we are coming to the end of our time together, and I feel like I could talk to you all night long. Just wondering if there's anything you'd like to add that we haven't already talked about.
0: There's something I tell both my students and clients, and it's that everyone wants the same thing. And that's to be seen and heard and know that they matter. And I think if you go into a relationship and dating with that on your mind, that can give you significant advantage in relating to someone else because we all want those same things.
1: Yeah, that's nice. Remembering the common humanity. Mm-hmm. If anyone wanted to get in touch with you, not for dating, but maybe for a coaching or counseling, how could they reach you?
0: I would say the best way to do that is go to my website, which is drvic.org, drvic.org.
1: Okay, terrific. Thank you so much. I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you. I really, really appreciate you joining us today, Vicki. You have such a wealth of personal and professional experience to bring to this conversation. Thanks again for being here. Thank you, Kim. Joy to be here. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be continuing the conversation on relationships. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then.
0: This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.